Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the host of this program. I'm a collaborative family lawyer and mediator, the founder of the Miller Law Group based in Westchester and New York City, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce in New York. And I'm here today with Carol Epstein, who's a financial advisor with Morgan Stanley, and we're going to talk about making financial decisions while in transition. And Carol, welcome. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. And I thought it would be a great way to start if you could tell us sort of how you got into this field and what your background is, because it's not the usual MBA. (laughs) It's not the usual MBA, but it's an interesting route. And I've actually landed in a place that makes a good deal of sense for me and hopefully for my clients. I started my professional career in technology as a programmer many, many years ago. And when the personal computing revolution came to be, 1982, I opened an Apple computer store, one of the first in the country. It was in Mount Kisco. I live in Ormonk, so it was a a local computer store, but very, very interesting time. Uh, No playbook for how to operate a computer store, how to run it profitably, but we figured it out as we went. And it was a great use of the skills that I love, which are technical skills and providing solutions from a variety of different vendors. We ran this business. I ran it initially. My husband joined me later, and we ultimately had a staff. We ran the business quite a few years together. And in 1991, we decided we would create a pension plan, a retirement plan for our staff. It was called a money purchase plan that actually was a predecessor of what we all know today as a 401k. And we were not only responsible for funding the plan as a business for our employees, but we were also responsible for investing for those employees. And that was my first exposure to the equity and bond market. Interesting exposure. I found them very interesting and very provocative and very fun and challenging. So ran that plan for about 10 years, grew the assets quite nicely. And as my youngest child left for college, decided that 20 years in the technology field running a personal computer store was enough. I considered my skills and decided that I might choose a different path, a different career. Financial advice made a great deal of sense. It linked me with all my technical cravings and interests, and it linked me to the market, which I found so provocative. And I set forth to taking my exams and becoming a licensed financial advisor. As an advisor, it's wonderful to have the life experience of raising a family. It's wonderful to have the experience of running a business for a long period of time, a new business, a business that required a lot of tension, time, creativity, and initiative. And all of those things kind of came together and allowed me to uh, become the advisor I am today. It's really terrific, I think, the way that you have been able to weave together the various parts of your life. And I actually think I do this as well with my clients. You know, my own experience then allows me to help my clients make the transition with their experience. So for you, you've been a businesswoman and you know what it's like to be a working mom and you know what it's like to make a transition in your life and a scary financial transition and all of those things which can really help you understand maybe not exactly what someone's going through, but the kinds of feelings that might be coming up as they're going through these transitions. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. I agree. Those experiences are very valuable to 
be able to not only hear what the clients are saying, but read between the lines because you know some of the suffering that's out there. Yeah, in terms and, of and sometimes be able to name through. it even before they can. Absolutely. Yeah, so Absolutely. I, I find that's really true too. Absolutely. So what I thought we would start with talking about today, Carol, is you know your perspective on when people are making a transition, primarily with divorce, but it could be the death of a spouse also, mm-hmm. and they're changing the level of responsibility that they have for managing a family finances, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe they weren't a person that was primarily responsible for even paying bills or the majority of the bills or certainly financial decisions, investment decisions. What are the kinds of things that you think someone should think about, not in terms of making those decisions so much right now, but in terms of getting help? Because I have a number of clients who are getting divorced. They're going to have, you know, a pocket full of cash. Mm-hmm. And what they tell me is, you know, everyone wants to help me, you know? How should they sort through that advice? What kinds of questions should they ask and where should they go for help? They have lots of choices and everyone does want to help. The kind of practice that I've put together is a values-based process. So it's not about taking your money and beating the market. It's about taking your money, figuring out what you need to live on each month, what that cash flow and liquidity has to look like, and then putting together a plan that's going to allow you to understand what you have, what you need each month, how much risk you're taking to get what you need each month, and being comfortable with it. Part of what has to happen is our clients have to organize themselves. What do my monthly needs look like? What's out there? What assets are out there? What form do they take? How accessible are they? Are they assets that I can use now? Are they assets that I can use in retirement? So let me just stop you for one second, because I think you're talking very high level. So someone who really doesn't understand anything about markets and Mm -hmm. doesn't understand anything about money, you know, and I'm putting that sort of in air quotes, might, you know, be like, what are you talking about? You know, and I think what you're saying Mm -hmm. is that the first step is to understand what their expenses are, Mm -hmm. right? In a very concrete way. What are my housing expenses? What are my food expenses? This is something that we do as part of the divorce process anyway. So Mm -hmm. someone will have done that if they're making a transition from divorce in order Mm -hmm. just to kind of figure it out. And so then I think what you're saying is, how am I going to meet those needs given the cash flow that I have with my investments and what variety of things can I put together? Mm -hmm. We ask the clients to spend some time thinking about what their needs are and what their wants are. We ask them to prioritize them with a number from one to 10. So that has to come from them. That's not input you or I can Mm -hmm. help them with. That is a little bit of soul searching what's important. Mm -hmm. Once we see what their needs and wants are and they've prioritized it, we then have to figure out what we have, how much risk we want to take, how we're going to realize those needs and wants. Sometimes the wants don't get acknowledged or don't get recognized. Sometimes they get recognized as a secondary piece of what we do. The client has to come to us understanding what his values or her values are and how we can take those values and implement them into a plan. And then we go back to that plan on a very regular basis and see how we're doing in terms of meeting those needs and wants. Not about beating the S&P 500. It's about can we get you to where you need to be at the time that we need to start to realize those goals. Great. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM. And I'm speaking with Carol Epstein about making 
decisions about your money and making decisions about money advice and trying to understand how people who are making a transition should think about their money and their financial advisor. Can you help us understand, Carol, what kinds of financial advisors are out there and what people should be looking for? Because when I said earlier that people are coming out of the woodwork to help my clients with a pot of cash, I mean, they're coming out of the woodwork not to be helpful only, you know, they're coming out of the woodwork seeking to be hired. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very scary place for some people to all of a sudden be loved for their money, (laughs) you know, when that was never something they thought about in the past. In terms of interviewing different people and speaking to different advisors, I think you have two general groups of advisors. One group of advisors really are strictly transactional in their nature. They'll buy stocks, they'll sell bonds. They do a good job with that, but that's pretty much what they do. The second group, which I consider myself to be part of, is a little bit more interested in the financial welfare and well-being of the client. So it is, yes, investing advice and investing execution, but we also do other things, everything related to the well-being of that client. So we will look at, again, in the priority order that's suitable for the client, we will look at insurance needs. We can look at life insurance. We look at long-term care insurance. If we have the uh, client who's come to us who's working and there are young children involved, we'll look at disability insurance. We will look at long-term care insurance. It is very far into the future sometimes, but we'll have that discussion. So the whole idea here is to look at the entire financial well-being. We'll look at education planning if we have to. We'll talk about estate planning if we have to and when we have to, trusts, wills, healthcare proxies. So you have a wealth advisor who is looking at the entire picture And then you have transactional people who simply are investing focused. And as I say, they do a good job at what they do, but it's really one piece of the person's financial life. It sounds like, Carol, that you're saying that you could take an integrative approach, like a holistic approach. How does my investing fit into my whole life? And that's Mm -hmm. the approach that you take. Mm -hmm. Or it could just be more prescribed. It's in this area and the rest of your life is your rest of your life and it's not related. And I could see that there could be people who would want one or the other. You know, there isn't one better way. I don't think it's better or worse. There may be some people who say, I'm going to hire you to earn X percent on my portfolio each year and that's your job. And then that person- And butt out of the rest of my business. And butt out the rest of my business. Then there are others who say, you know, the rest of your financial life is my business. I'm licensed and experienced and I have the Dream Team, which you and I have talked about, Catherine, other vetted professionals in other areas that are able to be pulled in to help the client to get their financial life in good order. And it doesn't happen in two weeks or two months. It could take years for all this to be. But then you feel like you've really served and cared for the client very completely. And, and it's not just their financial life. It's their lives yeah, you're really talking about. Correct. I mean, they're not going to call you up maybe and say, my best friend hurt my feelings. But I mean, the shin bone's connected to the knee bone or however that song goes. Yeah. It's all connected. What Agreed. do you think, Carol Epstein, are the pitfalls, common pitfalls people make when transitioning into a position of, you know, sort of sudden decision making, investment decision making? There's a number of answers to this question. One of the most important answers, I think, is they don't have the education to understand. So I think part of what someone has to do with newly acquired wealth is just walk on the path of getting a little bit of education. 
basic financial education. You can do that in adult education class. You can do that online. You can do that in a variety of different ways. But you need to be able to understand the basics because even though I'm very careful to not let technical words leave my mouth every now and then, they do. And I might say the equity market or the bond market, and even those words But might even before they might come to you, I mean, I think what you're saying is that some level of basic education, and there's actually an organization in the city called Savvy Ladies that does a really good job with that. And I really admire their work. And I've met many of the people who have gone through their program. And it's been like a lifesaver, a real Mm -hmm. lifesaver. And it's Mm -hmm. not just people with money, people who need to understand money for any reason. And everybody does need to understand money for any reason. You've got books, The Millionaire Next Door, Smart Women Finish Rich. You can start in any of these places, read, reread, ask questions, and get that basic understanding of what's out there. You may not understand that today I need to sell stock X and buy stock Y, but you'll have a sense of what exposure to the equity market means, what it's meant in the past, and what it may likely mean in the future. Okay, so that's to avoid the pitfall of not knowing. Mm -hmm. What other pitfalls do people fall into? So the pitfalls that we see at the beginning and during and really at the end throughout the entire lives of our investors is the emotions overcoming the intellect. Certainly having gone through a divorce situation, this is an emotional situation and your emotions are probably peaked and emotional decisions about anything usually are not the best decisions, but certainly in terms of how to invest, what to invest in, when to buy, when to sell, those are deadly decisions. The emotions being kept out of it and the intellect being brought a little bit more into it. I think one other thing I want to say is, you know, people will choose an advisor based on what their friend says, what their dentist has told them. You really have to choose an advisor based on what's in your heart and what's in your gut. You have to find someone who you're going to be able to speak to. Honestly, you're going to have to be able to put a lot of information on the table. You have to find someone that feels good with you. And it may not be the recommendation from your best friend or your dentist or anybody else, the lady that you chatted with on the line at the supermarket. It takes some time. You need to interview a number of people. You will get a sense of whose practice you want to be part of. And you should keep going until you say, this is the right fit for me. I think that makes a tremendous amount of difference. And do people ever ask you, Carol, about testimonials or, you know, if you have other clients that they can talk to. To me, that happens once in a blue moon. It's a difficult place. I can understand why a potential client would want to speak with another client. It's kind of awkward for me, too. Is that something that ever happens to you? It's more than awkward for us. It's virtually impossible because all those relationships are private relationships. So of course, I, would, for me I, would, I would never disclose even if they were neighbors, even if I saw the address was one number apart on a street that I work with this person, it's not anything I could do. But we do a lot of planning with our clients up front. There's a lot of face-to-face time. There's a lot of dialogue and discussion. They will know when it's time to pull the trigger, whether it's right or wrong, by the time we're well into the process. They will know what's right. And any of their feelings about whether it's right or wrong are more legitimate than taking advice from people who may have had a great experience, may have a great advisor for them, but that great advisor may not be the same for this individual. Yeah. In my profession, we have a word for those people and we call them the Greek chorus. And I always say to my clients that let's separate out the love that those people have for you and the support they want to give you from the actual advice they're giving you. 
because sometimes, you know, the fact that their cubby mate's cousin's father (laughs) got such and such a result. I mean, we don't know anything about that situation. Correct. It's not. And agreed. Yeah. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM and available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com and also on iTunes. And I'm speaking today with Carol Epstein from Morgan Stanley about investment decisions and finding good investment advice and things to think about when you are transitioning or in any time. Let's talk a little bit about divorce for a minute because that's the focus of this program. That's the focus of my practice. And I'm interested if you have some thoughts about, you know, common themes that you've noticed for people who are divorcing and thinking about their money in the divorce process. Is there anything that I'm sure you've had clients who are married, clients who are divorcing and clients who are divorced. And I sometimes think that divorce brings a particular sensitivity to thoughts about money because money is so much in our society besides just a way to pay the bills. And of course, it is a way to pay the bills. It's representative of power. It's representative of value. It's representative of success. That's played out through money conversations in my office every day. It plays out in other people's offices as well. So do you have any comments about that? The only comment I would share today would be don't do anything until you're ready to do it. If you do acquire a large sum of money very quickly and you don't have the experience, create something very safe and very smart for the time being until you have the knowledge to move forward, until you understand what risk is and you understand how much risk you can live with and sleep at night with. That is different for every single person. So you may take two people with the same amount of money, the same age and similar circumstances, and their portfolios may look totally different. Very different. But you know what's really interesting? If you have a situation where you have money being managed by one spouse, the other spouse has very little to do with it. Mm-hmm. Then we divide those assets in kind. And now the spouse who hasn't had anything to do with it all of a sudden has a portfolio of stuff that their spouse thought was a good idea. Maybe a good idea. There may be embedded capital gains. We don't know. And when we do the work, we try to divide the unrealized capital gains and losses in a way that makes sense. That's that, equitable. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how is that person? So it's like, okay, my former husband or my former wife, Joe or Jane, thought this was great. Now my investment advisor is saying, sell everything. (gasps) You know, that's a scary thing. I don't think investment advisors should work in a tunnel by themselves with a client. I think investment advisors need to be in touch with on a regular basis and perhaps in meetings. We have a caller with a question. Is that okay? Yes, perfectly fine. Hello? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. Nice show. Thanks for being on. I have a question for the uh, financial advisor. Great. What is the normal expectancy of what your fees would be? I mean, you know, there's different fees for different advisors. I think the fee lowers the greater the amount that's contributed. So what is like the average cost or fee to have a financial advisor per annum? It's very hard for me to answer that question because there are fees that are on the outside, fees that are on the inside, and of course, the size of the portfolio will matter and how the portfolio is invested will matter. If it's in bonds, there may be one fee and equity is another fee. So that's a very, very hard question. I'd almost refrain from giving you a number 
to answer that question. But when you go to speak with an advisor and sit in front of an advisor, part of what you should get before you sign anything or agree to anything is you should know exactly what those fees are, how they're charged, what they're based on. Well, that's true. But what I don't find is that Let's say you have a half a million dollars in the uh, equity market on a financial advisor, Mm -hmm. and they charge 1%, which I think is what, reasonable? It's definitely within the realm of reality, of course, yes. Okay. Well, if you lose 1%, why should they be entitled to uh, anything? Well, let me pose a question to you. If they lose 1% and you would have lost 10%, have they earned their fee? So I think that the fee structure is a really interesting question, and thank you so much for calling. I think that does bring up a very good question, which is that the different fee structure, to understand what the fee structure is, is a very important question you would want to know going in and what that was going to look like in reality based on what was being proposed for each individual person. I think that's the point you're trying to make, Carol. Absolutely. Yep, that's the point. So we were talking about, I think, the divorcing people. We were. And and the point I wanted to make that I think is so critically important is if you, in fact, inherit a portfolio, there will be, if the portfolio has been in place for a period of time, there will be embedded cap gains and taxable events that will happen if you sell that portfolio. So I don't want to see any professional with a client making those decisions by him or herself. I'd like to see the tax advisor an estate attorney, perhaps the CPA at the table, so everyone can decide jointly and understand all the nuance of what a sale of one or everything is going to mean to the client at tax time. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is that if an advisor says, yeah, we're going to liquidate everything next week, you should be wary about that. I wish that the listeners could see the look on your face. Yeah, fire sale's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, fire sale's not a good idea. And, and it's unlikely that everything's awful. So let's pick out the pieces that don't match what you've told us about your goals and your values and your risk tolerance. And let's make some changes there. And oftentimes what we do with our clients is we'll make those changes over two years. So if the portfolio comes in at the end of the year and we decide we want to change a third of that portfolio, we'll do a sixth this year and a sixth next year. And that way we stagger the tax hit in 2016 and 2017. So there are ways, even if there is a good amount of selling, there are ways of handling that to minimize pain for the client and to minimize the taxes they have to pay. Thank you, Carol. I want to make sure before we end that you give us contact information in case any of the listeners would like to reach out to you. Thank you. I'd be happy to. Carol Epstein, I work at our world headquarters in Purchase, 2000 Westchester Avenue. You can Google me, carol.r.epstein. I have a website and I'd love you to visit me on the website. The phone number is there, but I'll give it to you now. It's 914-225-4859. Thank you. And then As we come to the end of our time together, are there any last words of wisdom that you have for people going through a transition and thinking about their money? Move slowly, get education, surround yourself with talented professionals that you have a working simpatico with, people that you can go to that can work together to serve your needs. Thank you very much. It's been great talking with you today. This is Catherine Miller, Dialogue on Divorce. Join us next, well, two weeks from today from 5 to 5.30.